Uh, would you turn with me to uh, Psalm 90? Psalm 90. Let's hear the word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new by evening, it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Ending there at verse 12. We know the Lord will bless this reading uh, to all our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. Before we sing again, would you turn to God's word, uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Very well known psalm. Let's again hear the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. We know the Lord will bless this further reading 
of his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray that though the words that we read in this psalm are familiar to us, I pray that it'll come to us with a freshness that only the Holy Spirit can give. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, would you open it there at uh, Psalm 51? Because we're, we're going to be going uh, through it. You, I'm sure you're very familiar with this psalm. Um, we don't have to speculate uh, what the background is to this psalm. It's there in the title for the director of music. A psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I'm sure all of you are familiar with that story of how David, at the time when kings go out to war, was languishing at home. And he's out on his terrace and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And uh, lust leads to adultery. And that adultery leads to murder. It's just a dreadful story. Dreadful. And the, and the consequences of it are horrendous uh, because it wasn't just a matter of God dealing with David's sin, which he does, and, uh, and uh, that sin is blotted out. But David had to live with the consequences of his sin the rest of his life, and it affected the kingdom as well. So it, it's, a, it's a dreadful story where Nathan comes and confronts Uh, David, you remember, he says to David, David, you're the man. And David is immediately stricken in his heart and immediately repents. And and Nathan says, and the Lord has forgiven you. But David comes to write this psalm then of of what has happened, uh, reflecting on what has happened. There are basically three things that I want you to see from this psalm uh, today. And the first thing I want you to notice here is confession. Confession. And here it was deep and real. Verse 3, I know my transgression. Do you see it there? For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David is coming here. He's not holding anything back. Now he's been completely open. There's no further attempt to cover up. Up until this time, until Nathan confronted him, he was covering up. David had attempted to cover up his sin, first of all, by uh, bringing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back. You remember? Tried to get him to spend the night with his wife, but Uriah was having none of it. While his men were lying out in the fields, he wasn't going to go into his own bed. He was going to stay outside. So that didn't work. And then... He put in plan the uh, get Uriah to the very sharp end of the of the battle and then withdraw from him so that he would be killed. So he had attempted to cover up his sin because by this time Bathsheba's pregnant and that didn't work. And 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 David has been hiding his sin, trying to cover that up, and time has gone on. And and you know, it, it had an effect on him. If you, if you turn back to Psalm 32, uh, that psalm also refers to this event. 
And, and he begins there by saying, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. And here's his testimony. When I kept silent. And that's what happened after the sin with Bathsheba. He kept silent. Didn't admit it. Didn't confess it. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What's he describing there? He's describing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He's re- he cannot eat. He can't sleep. He's under pressure. Day and night, he says, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And that's what's happening here. He's confessing his sin. And, and so he comes under tremendous conviction. And, and in Psalm 51 and verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, he had sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He had sinned against Bathsheba. But he sees ultimately that his sin is against the living God. And he feels now more keenly than ever that, that God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. He, that, remember, this is a man after God's own heart. This man was specially selected and called by God to be the king. And, and, and here he is in this dreadful, dreadful state. So David, David becomes aware that his secret sin was an open insult to the name of God and to the character of God as every sin is. Every sin that we commit is an affront to a holy God. And verse 6, he says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And, and so he feels more keenly than ever that, that God is looking at his heart. You know, hypocrisy, like, like faith and truthfulness, is a thing of the heart. It, it's what's in the heart that comes out. And, and it's to such confessors that the faithful and just one gives forgiveness and cleansing. If we confess our sins, God's word says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Imagine. He's faithful to forgive us our sins and he is just. How can a holy God forgive guilty sinners? And be just. Well we know how. Because Jesus died on the cross. Because he paid the penalty. And we'll, we'll look at that. In a few moments. So there's, there's confession. That's the first part. Of his prayer here. And then the major part of it. Is petitions. And there's, there's a number of petitions. I think there's about seven I've counted. And and. Where, where there are confessions, there will also be petitions. Because the heart not only needs to be emptied of that which is evil, but it needs to be filled with that which is good. It's a bit like the story that, that uh, you remember, the story of Jesus casting the demons out of the man and, and he doesn't put anything in there to replace it. And, and there's more devils come back. And so we need to, we need to replace the evil with good. A life 
a life reformed but lacking God's presence is open to reoccupancy by evil. And so his first petition is simply for mercy. You see it there in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. You think about David and what he had done. He had committed adultery. He had arranged for for the death of someone who was serving him. He was guilty of murder. How is he going to come to God? How is he going to address God? What's, what excuses? He has no excuse. The only thing he can do is throw himself on the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, O God. Because you see, nothing but mercy can meet his case. And that mercy must be the mercy of God. No convicted sinner would dare ask for justice. If we said to God, Lord, be fair. You know, be fair to me. Is that what you want? Do you want God to be fair? Are you claiming for justice? Because a just God could fairly and justly condemn every single one of us to hell. Mercy is our only plea. Because there's nothing good in us that we can point to or appeal to. We can only throw ourselves in the mercy of God. So he pleads for mercy. That's the first petition. The second petition is cleansing from sin. Verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, the remedy must be as thorough as the disease. Where sin abounded, grace must much more abound. God's infallible cure for the guilt and pollution of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, which cleanses us from all sin. <coughs> all sin. Wonder, am I talking to someone here this morning? And, and you know, the sin of David's here, they're very serious sins, mur- adultery and murder. But this can be applied to any sin, to any sin. And, and remember that David's a believer when this happened. He's not a pagan. He's a believer. And, and maybe I'm speaking to someone here today, and, and you've been a Christian for a number of years, and over the years, things have cooled, as it were. You've been following at a distance, and sin's beginning to get a grip on you. And you've done things that you're thoroughly ashamed of. And maybe you need to do what David did. You need to cry out to God for mercy. You need to come to him for a fresh cleansing from sin. Oh, you say, look, the things that I've done, how could I ever come to God? How could I ever come to him and and, and ask for mercy? Well, are they any worse than what David has done here? Let me... Let me just read a portion here from 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if it stopped there, that would be awful. 
But it goes on. And that is what some of you were. Some of who? Well, we need to go back to the beginning of that epistle and see who's Paul writing to. Well, what's it say? To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So he's saying this to Christians. But this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, all types of sin, past, present, and future. So he petitions God for mercy. He petitions God for cleansing from sin. He petitions God for expiation from guilt. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Expiate me by a sin offering is another rendering. Or cleanse me literally means here, unsin me. Unsin me. And the hyssop, does that ring a bell? The hyssop reminds us, doesn't it, of the blood of the Lamb. At the Exodus, when the angel of death was, was going through Egypt, what were, they, what were the Israelites to do? They were to take a blood without, without spot or blemish. They were to kill it, take the blood, put it on the, on the doorposts and the lentils, and where the angel of death saw the blood, it passed over. And they applied the blood with a hyssop plant. The hyssop. God's forgiveness is always on the ground of expiation, a sin offering. If the conscience is to be purged from dead and sinful works, it must be by the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it. Now, let me just pause there. That's just three of the petitions. He petitions God for mercy. He petitions God for cleansing from sin. He petitions God for expiation from guilt. Whenever you come to God, fellow believer, in your quiet time, and you come to ask God for things, wonder any of those three among the things that you ask him for. Mercy. Cleansing. Expiation. Here's a fourth. Here's a fourth one. He asks for regeneration of heart. Verse ten. Create in me a pure heart, O God. You see, the remedy would not be perfect that only dealt with past sins and present guilt. The heart. The heart, which the Bible says is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart must be changed. The, the clean heart is a new creation. It, it is a heart destitute of the love of sin and filled with the love of God. It's a condition described in the New Testament as being born again or born from above. And, and how often have we said that? And, and I've said it to the, to the boys and girls already this morning. Christianity is a matter of the heart. My son, above all else, guard your heart. My son, give me your heart. 
Those are two verses from Proverbs. Look up a concordance when you go home for that word heart. If the heart is right, then everything else, everything else will be right. <clears throat> but he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to ask for a renewed spirit. Verse 10, renew a right spirit within me. With a new heart comes the right spirit within us and upon us. Ezekiel. This, this reminds me of, of the verses from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Let me remind you of these verses. In verse 28, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, there cannot be this right spirit where there is not the clean heart. The hearts that were purified by faith were filled by the Holy Spirit. The absence of the right spirit is the evidence of indwelling sin. Over my years in the ministry, in various, in the three congregations I've been in, invariably, where there is trouble in a congregation, it usually comes down to an individual or two. And they don't have a right spirit within them. There's something wrong. And it comes out like this, and it creates trouble in a congregation. So the psalmist here is, David is, is asking, not just for a new heart, but for a new spirit. And then he goes on and he asks for a restoration of joy. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. As a backslider, this joy had faded out of David's life. He had been miserable for, some commentators say it could have been up to two years before Nathan confronts him. Two years of misery. I, I don't believe there's a more miserable person on the face of the earth than a backslidden Christian. But with a new heart and a right spirit, then this restoration of joy would come back. Sorrow may enjoy for the night of confession, but joy comes in the morning of confession and renewal. There is a joy in his salvation and a joy that should never be lost. And then the last petition that he makes is a preservation by his power. Verse 12, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now that he's been set free from the law of sin and death, he longs to be kept in this condition of spiritual freedom. Sustain me or hold me up. As Christians, we not only need the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, we still need the upholding power of his Holy Spirit because he is able to keep us from falling. Here in David's prayer, there is confession. There is petition. 
But then lastly, there are results that follow. Where there has been a decided work of grace, there are signs that undoubtedly follow. And I want to mention two. First of all, there'll be a desire to win souls. If you look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. When by experience we have learned your ways, we then have something worth teaching, something that transgressors need to know and we need to hand on. And that's why as Christians we're called to serve the Lord. We're called to make him known wherever we go. And so we begin wherever we are, wherever we live, in our families, in our community, in the place where we work, wherever we go, wherever we go, we gossip the gospel. That's why we get involved in youth work, teach Sunday school, in the uniformed organizations and so on. It is a great work to lead others to Christ. If God has blessed us, It's so that we might be a blessing to others. He that winneth souls is wise. And how will that be evidenced? Well, let me suggest three ways how this will be evidenced. The desire to win souls. First of all, number one, the top priority is you will pray. If you're concerned about winning souls, if you're concerned about about sharing the good news of the gospel, the first thing, the top priority, is that you will pray. Prayer is the work. It is. It, It seems foolishness to the world. But here we have a direct access to the Holy of Holies, to the throne of grace, this is, our, this is our greatest weapon, if you like, that we have at our disposal. That we can call on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come to our aid. He knows all about the people that we're concerned about. The people that we love who don't know him yet. Bring them to him. Bring those people to him. Your nearest and dearest. The people that you work with. That's the first thing that you'll do. Pray. If you're concerned, if you have this desire to win souls, the first thing that you'll do is you will pray. You'll have a prayer list every day. Not just in the prayer meetings of the church, but that will be a priority too. But in your individual quiet time, you'll name people before the Lord and plead with him. That's the first thing. You'll pray. You'll give. You'll give of your substance. You'll give of your time. So that you'll maybe serve in one of the youth organizations. You'll give of your material substance. You'll give of your wealth to promote the work of God. I, I know you're building a new, a new meeting house up the road. Well, this is a meeting house that former generations provided for you. So that from generation to generation, the good news would be spread. And God has chosen you, your generation, to build a new place. So that succeeding generations will hear the good news. And I commend that to you. That's that's an investment for the future. 
So if you're concerned about, about winning souls, you will not only pray, but you will give. And then you'll go. That's the other thing. You'll go. It might, be, it might be across the room to speak to someone. It might be across the road to speak to someone. It might even be to the ends of the earth if God calls you. But if you have this desire to win souls, and surely when you've been forgiven so much, wouldn't you want to do that? A desire to win souls. And lastly, a desire to praise God. And just in a sentence or two, verse 14. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me in my tongue. Listen to this, will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You know, it's one of the great marks of Christianity is that we use music. We use praise and and. Just not that we use musical praise. We praise God in our prayers. We praise God as we read the scriptures, as we sit under the word of God. We praise God by the lives we live. This, those saved by the Lord have a double debt to pay. They're debtors to the unsaved to teach them his way. And we're debtors to God to praise him. He has done so much for us. It's not a matter of standing up, you know, and reading a few words in our hymn book or in our screen. It's actually thinking about the words that we're singing and praising him. And when we come to prayer, you know, make sure it's not just a shopping list. Prayer is the time when we praise God. You know, if, if you spend time thanking God for all that he's done for you, then the things that, that concern you and you wonder how you're going to make ends meet, I tell you, if you just cast your mind back and think about how God has provided for you from the moment of your conception to this moment in time, you'll not be worried about how he'll provide for you for the future. We need to praise God as we pray and as we sing his praises. But look, as I said at the beginning, this is for all of us. This word is for all of us. Not just for the deepest died sinner. This is for all of us. All of us, by nature, are sinners. We're rebels against God. And we need to keep short accounts with him. Fellow believer, are you doing that? I need to do that every day. Every day I struggle with sin. You know, I used to think when I was younger, when I would be older in the faith, it would be easier. It's not. It's harder. It's harder the older you get. So we need to, we need to come to him, confess our sins, plead for his mercy. And if you're in a backslidden state, don't let that go on. Stop it. You need to get back to God. Get back into his word. Talk to your minister. Listen, go home and think about these things. Read that psalm over again. I trust that the Lord will do his work that only he can do. Let's pray.
Father God, will you follow with your blessing the preaching of your truth? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.